and welcome back to Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. I'm Becky. I'm Tash. And I'm Emma. Hello. 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 I'm going to break what we said last week and ask, how are you all? <laughs> <laughs> but it just feels so awkward not to say it, doesn't yeah. it? I felt awkward all all week after that. <laughs> I felt something was missing. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine because uh, I uh, was a super cool young kid this weekend. I went to a festival, so super happy. My mind is blown about this. I can't get over that you went to a festival. <laughs> what the, because, why? Which part? Well, that you went to a festival. Like, I'd be dead for a week. And it's it's peeply and loud and, like, Oh, it's the loudness as well. Yeah, I can't deal with loud music. And and the drunk people. Drunk people everywhere. I think Becky was a drunk person. Becky was one of them, weren't you, babes? The first night I was rather drunk and uh, slept really, really well. (laughs) Oh, did you? The good thing about it was, um, I suppose it depends on the festival, but normally the festivals that I've been to before, the food is absolutely shit. It's disgusting. Yeah. Whereas this time, they'd organised it in a way that there was a just a whole one side was full of food trucks. Oh, like a little food court. Yeah, and it was actual food trucks with actual little people's businesses coming nice. in and feeding everyone. So it was all really good food, and you had a choice of so much. And France is well known for its food, but actually, when you live here, there's often the same. It's either sausage chips. Ham chips. I never get why France is so well known for its food because, like, some of it is absolutely delicious and, like, the quality of the produce is immense and, like, so good. But in terms of, like, food, it is literally just the same stuff every day. Yeah. Well, often it's one bit of meat and one type of vegetable. That's their food a lot of the time. I think the reason why we don't think they're as good as what they their reputation is is because we don't have enough money to go to the restaurants where all the good food is <laughs> i was gonna say you need to get in those yeah. like michelin star restaurants yeah where you eat three three peas and a carrot but it's a fancy carrot Ooh, fancy <laughs> carrot that's what i'm gonna tell noel he has next time <laughs> you have a fancy carrot <laughs> yeah so the food was really, really good, which made uh, recovering from my hangover from drinking too much on the Friday a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was my friend's turn on Saturday to get really drunk and was publicly sick in front of many people. <laughs> Listen, are you even at a festival if you're not sick in front of me? Yeah, exactly. But we love her. The band that I like the most actually ended up being from Yorkshire, um, where I used to live. Oh, really? Really close to where I used to live, yeah. So that was cool. And they were, before I knew that, I thought that they were the best of the, it was a band called um, Youngblood, and they were like a a punky kind of band, rock band. But it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a nice time. Let's not bang on about it too much. You don't need to know how cool I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're way cooler than me. I was like... I'm seriously jealous, so I'm just going to sulk in bed with my cup of tea. Shall we get back to it? Let's fucking do this, bitches. 
So, a few shout-outs from our Facebook group. Megan, Ruth and Julie have all got a super fan badge. So, thank you for that, ladies. You're obviously participating. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> you obviously participate a lot. So, thanks for that. So, we also got Yolandi, who gave us a little review on Facebook. And she gave us a really nice review and recommends us to other people, which we are very grateful for. Thank you, Yolandi. Thank you very much. And what else? Oh, Stacy. Stacy posted a link. She posted a link. You know the episode about glitches in the Matrix? Yes. So, she posted a link on Facebook about doppelgangers because Mm. of the whole bank thing, yeah? It was basically in this article saying that scientists are now saying that people have doppelgangers because there's so many people that systematically there is going to be somebody that has your physique and share some of your DNA because there's so many of us, you know, it's not, there's only so far it goes before it starts kind of repeating itself. Which right. kind of reminded me of characters in The Sims. There's only so many characters you can make in The Sims and then they start looking alike. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't like it. No. No. No, I don't like that either. <laughs> no. no. Thanks, Stacey. Stacey's mum has got it going on. But shout out to your mum. <laughs> <laughs> No, Stacey's actually very supportive of my uh, pale legs today. We had a good chat about wearing, being a bit gothy in the summer. It's not fun when you get those legs out. People are blinded. No. I fake tan all the way. I've never faked tan in my life. You have to use the same bed sheets and keep washing them, though. You have to sacrifice some of your bed sheets to, to the fake tan. I mean, I just can't be bothered to shave my legs enough to do that. I don't think me and Becky are going quite for the same look. You know, the pale, moody Morticia and uh, the hip, cool, festival-going TikToker. (laughs) 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 But anyway, thank you to everybody on the Facebook page. We love you. Yes. The light of my life. We do, we do. So, Bex. Yes? Are you ready to... Bring down the mood with some murder. Oh, is it me first? Yep. Yep. Let's do oh. this. I was kind of getting comfortable because I was absolutely convinced that it was not me first. Let me read you a story. Let um, me this, it was a, <laughs> a lot of the cases that I've done just randomly pop in my head from the amount of murder documentaries and things uh, that I listen to and watch. This one was from quite a while ago that I'd remembered. I was convinced it was in that TV show called Nightmare Neighbor Next Door. I love shows like that. <laughs> yeah. I used to love that one. Uh, yeah. And I, I, lo- I watch it a lot on YouTube because I don't have uh, British TV here. So there was a point, I think I must have been when I was pregnant with uh, one of my various children. I was just a bit bored and I watched literally every episode. And I was convinced it was on that program. God, that would be a nightmare neighbour <laughs> if it ended up in bloody murder. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think it was a similar show with a similar title. Because when I was watching it, it's like, it's always the same. It's like, oh, my neighbour, he moved his plant pot on our property line. <laughs> and, then, and then that's all it is. And it's like, 
And I said, Nigel, he's put his plant on our property line. <laughs> and I knew from that moment that it meant, wow. <laughs> it's <just laughs> terrible. Okay, but it is annoying. Oh, the most bored people. You know, nearly all of them are like of retirement age. And some of them absolutely were nightmare neighbours and then other people were just completely bored. It was a uh, programme very similar. This is a story. So, November 2015, in Wales, Michelle James was cleaning up the communal garden of a flat she was renting. Her neighbour, Leanne Sabine, had recently passed away. Michelle had helped look after her while, while Lee, we'll call her Lee, was ill. She was ill for a while and she had actually died of brain cancer at the age of 74. So it was usually Lee that would keep the garden in order. So Lee loved the garden and Michelle decided that after Lee's passing that she would help keep it clean, keep it tidy. Plus she knew that in the shed of the garden was a Halloween decoration that she wanted to find and play a trick on one of her other neighbours. After moving things around in the shed... She found the Halloween decoration, and this Halloween decoration was pretty authentic because it was actually a full medical skeleton that her neighbour said that she'd had from when she was a nurse. Was it an actual skeleton? Because I've yeah. heard some back in the day they used to be. Yeah, well, that's what she told her neighbour, saying that it is an actual real skeleton. Ooh. A full medical skeleton, she had that in her shed. That's how you get haunted, okay, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. They're not allowed to do that anymore, are they? No, I don't think they are anymore, but I know that back in the day, those skeletons that you'd see, like, yeah. hanging up in classrooms and whatnot. They, they were real. Yeah, <laughs> they were the real deal. Well, I've told you the poltergeist story, haven't I? Do you know the poltergeist scene when they're in the swimming pool and all the skeletons start coming out of the mud? Yeah. Uh, they were actually real skeletons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, I remember you saying that. Yeah, because it was cheaper to get the real ones and get fake ones, which is yeah. messed up. Oh, yes. Oh, I can, I can just see the scene now of all them skeletons bobbing up. <laughs> <laughs> so she found it wrapped in plastic. It was very well wrapped. She started pulling off the plastic when she was hit in the face by a strong odour of decomposition. And she looked down and saw that a brown, slimy liquid had started oozing out from the plastic and gone onto her hand. That makes me want to gag. Yeah, so out tumbled (laughs) the hand of... (laughs) Easy, easy. (laughs) So disgusting. Yeah. We don't know what it is, Tash. It might be melted chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, that has gone off. Everyone knows that it smells like rotting corpse. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Tumbled out of the plastic was the hand of a rotting corpse. Okay, it's not chocolate. No, you were wrong. Surprise! I was wrong. (laughs) It had actually smothered Michelle's hands in partially decomposed gristle. Oh, Oh. Oh, gristle is going on my bad word list. It's bad word. When I was reading this, I was like, nah, gristle. No, thank you. But you'd never be able to wash that away, would you? Like, that would 
Oh god, that's my no. crazy. But it'd forever be in your in your nose. Yeah, and imagine though the word now the word gristle. The next time I get a bit of gristle, I'm gonna be like, oh, dead man hand. But also, it'd be like every time you touch your face, you'd remember. Yeah, my stomach's feeling quite <sighs> so smart. <laughs> sensitive yeah i'm getting away from the minginess i've got now. tears in my eyes before we start the podcast <laughs> we had a quite explicit description of festival toilets which i'm sure you can all imagine was not pleasant so that began the stomach feeling a well, bit that like, didn't make my stomach turn i mean it's gross oh that but... did for me that did for me i uh dry heaved when i saw how disgusting girls are <laughs> Absolutely mean. Absolutely gross. And so now we're topping it off with a bit of human grizzle. But, but yeah, <laughs> a little bit of melting gristle. So, hand covered in gristle, she started screaming and shouting, it's a dead body, it's a dead body. And she kind of stumbled back because she was on her knees trying to get this skeleton out of the bag. So she ran to her flat and called the police. So that gristle would be all over the phone. <laughs> Oh, she's washed her hands. Come on, let's just say she's washed her hands. I assume she wiped it on us or something. You've never really washed them enough after you've had dead body on it, have you? Bleach, baby, yeah. bleach. So, yeah. Well, but then again, you know, I bet it clings to your hands just like bleach does. Well, when you clean and if you don't wear gloves, it's, it stays on your hands all day. I love yeah. the smell of bleach. I don't like it when I'm trying to sleep and it's on my hands. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. It always stings the back of my throat. Anyway, I assume like decompose, decomposition smell. Don't whisper it, weirdo. Decomposition. Gristle, gristle. Decomposition, gristle. Can I just like get this straight? She went in this shed. It's her neighbour's shed. Trying to find a skeleton. It's her neighbour's yeah. shed who's it's died. It's a communal shed. Oh, it's a communal shed. But the decoration yes. she's looking for was her neighbours who died. Yes. Yes. It was a few weeks after she passed away. Okay. And it was, um, she'd mentioned many times that she has this skeleton and she wanted to put it on her sofa and invite another neighbour around and scare it. I mean, that's hysterical. Yeah. So I kind of <laughs> think I'd be friends with Michelle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hysterical. Um, but instead yeah, of finding so. said skeleton, she's found gristle gristle okay yes she's found a real dead person so she went and called the police and it was indeed a dead body or what was left of it the police constable joy nichols told the inquest that she remembered a very strong smell of rotting waste on the 24th of november 2015 the police began their investigation at first, they very harshly questioned Michelle about the body and they questioned her for hours and hours. They thought that Michelle had something to do with it. Michelle protested her innocence, saying that her neighbour that had died had told many of the other neighbours about this skeleton and that it was a medical skeleton, that it was real. And she even had kept it under her bed at one point when she was round uh, Lee's house for a cup of tea. It was under her bed. She said it was under her bed. She kept it under her bed for a long time. And it was only when she was ill that she put it in the shed. That's very strange. Very strange. That is not what's under my bed. No. That's weird. Yes. So she had kept it, yeah, under her bed at one point, then in the cupboard, before eventually moving it outside 
in plain sight in the garden shed, just under a bit of rubbish. Becky, is the body and the skeleton the same thing? I'm getting very confused here. Is there an actual skeleton? Or not? Well, the, the medical skeleton that she said that she had was the body. It's the body okay. the same. But she always said to everyone that it was a Halloween decoration. Okay, but it is indeed a, a rotting body. Yes, it okay. was just really well wrapped. So she's never got it out or anything to show anybody. No, she's, she's just, just told, told people. people. Yeah. Okay, I thought it, she had a skeleton and a rotting body, but no, it's just a rotting body. No, she didn't have the space for both. No, no, I understand, I understand. It takes a lot, a lot of space under a bed, two yeah. bodies. Yeah, too much. Too much. What is it with people keeping bodies under the bed, though? Isn't this the second time we've had this? It was the um, the woman that killed her babies that kept kept them in her bedroom. Yes, yes, Ooh, I remember so her, Dominique. 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 Ah. Oh, and Carl. Carl went the extra mile. It was in his bed. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Carl was the king of that. Oh, Carl. <laughs> we'll never forget you. Oh. <laughs> Keeping his memory alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh. he, he was so weird. <laughs> it was awful. That story, Emma. Why? <laughs> one of my faves. Yes, one of my faves. Hey, what is I my? I think it's it. my favorite. Yeah. So, under all the wrapping, this body had chemically mummified itself. It nice. had uh, nice. kind of basted in its own juices and mummified itself. <laughs> Why are we? What's with all the cooking terms? Basted, grizzle, ugh, <laughs> marinated. He was marinated. He marinated himself for a little bit too long, longer oh, than the, the 24 hours that was on the recipe. So an autopsy was carried out. The person had died from blunt force trauma to the head and was also wearing Marks and Spencer's pyjamas. Is this a joke? No, still wearing his pyjamas. And they said it was a male. Where was this old lady? Um, is it Lee? Yeah. Where's her husband? Oh. Well, they they were looking into it, but he uh, left in 1997. Uh, did he leave or was he under her bed? Maybe. Let's get into it. Lee! This is Lee! what the neighbour said straight away. She was like, well, she apparently had a husband at one point, but never when this neighbour had known Lee. So, yeah. So they, the police interviewed many people about who the body could be and they looked into Lee's life coming up to when they moved to Wales. So Lee was married to a guy called John and John and Lee's romance had lasted nearly four decades. Their relationship kindled when Lee was a 17-year-old nurse and John was her patient being treated for injuries that he sustained in the Korean War. John at the time was a 28-year-old married man with two children. So, he was a dirty dog. And Lee was a little minx. Yep, yeah. It's the uniform, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. And it was only when Lee became pregnant that John's first wife threw him out. Oh, God. Fair play. Yep. That'll do it. Drama. Absolutely. Scandal. Mm -hmm. So, so, so scandalous. The couple married in 1960. John worked as an accountant 
while Lee raised their children. They lived in Britain for nearly half a decade and then the family just vanished in 1965 because John was facing accusations that he had defrauded his company out of about $6,000. Blimey. He's a dirty dog and a wrong un. Yeah, fraud. You get a lot for fraud. It's not something that you need to be caught doing. Oh. <laughs> you can get more for fraud than you can for murder. Which is ridiculous, but... This is stupid. It's because it's like rich people's money that you're trying to take instead yeah, of just yeah, yeah. people's lives. Nah. So prior to their disappearance, people would see that John was burning lots of A4 papers in his garden. Suspicious. Suspicious. That's what Donald Trump should have done. Whoops. Yep. Just saying. Something's going on with him, isn't it? Yes, yes. When isn't there something going on with Trump, though? (laughs) No, I just saw briefly on Facebook, but I haven't really looked into it. I think he's been a bit of a naughty boy with some uh, top secret documents from the White House. So, so, so naughty. What, things that he'd taken out when he left? Yeah. When he should have just left, not allowed it. It's not really a job that you get to take things away from as a president. No, no, it's not. You're supposed to leave things at work. Yeah, yeah. I'm not allowed to take papers home from work. (laughs) And I'm not, I don't work in the government. So after the investigation into the fraud, before they disappeared, the detective that was looking into this was pretty sure that all the papers that John was seen to be burning was proof of the fraud that he committed. The Sabines serviced in New Zealand, where they would go on to have five children in total. Busy. Busy, busy. So busy. Busy getting jiggy. Yeah. Well, you know, she's still probably got that uniform. (laughs) (laughs) But she gets that out on a Thursday. Their children at the time were aged 2 to 11. But just as swiftly as they fled Britain, the family uprooted once again. This time, however, John and Lee put all their children in a home. Oh. And just left them. That's not cool. They were abandoned at a nursery in Auckland. Jesus. In 1969. I know. I thought, in my head, Lee's this sweet little old lady that had brain cancer and had a horrible time and it was really sad that she died. Nah, mate. Nah, mate. No, mate, Lee's a savage. Jesus. And you're not going to like her anymore. It's not going to get any better because the reason why they abandoned their children is because Lee wanted to be a model and a singer. I mean, obviously that takes priority over looking after your kids. I just think she probably should have done that before having five children. Listen, there's no age to become a model. John can look after the kids and Lee can be a singer. You know. I wonder what she sang. Have we got a clip of it? <laughs> oh, what's the song? I don't know. Oh, I thought you knew a song that she had sung, but you're literally just trying to think of a song, aren't you? No, I'm trying to think of a song that would go with abandoning your children, but weirdly, there's not a lot of those. No, <laughs> it's because it's not really a done thing, generally. Especially no, five at a time. You're pushing your luck a bit there. Yeah. And if worse comes away, maybe if you didn't have a home... There's other reasons where you'd think, well, the kids would be better in a nursery, not they're annoying me, they're a burden, I'm going to put them in a, in a children's home and go and be a star. Sounds like she's going to go and be a star murderer, that's what she's going to uh, go and be. Yeah. 
They left them so they could go on tour and for Lee to become a star in Sydney. Uh, so she tried to build a career as a singer, but never really took off. It didn't, um, she never became a model and probably just sang every so often in a bar or something. Well, that was worth leaving your kids behind, wasn't it? Exactly. They kind of moved around New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand, Australia, and eventually returned to New Zealand in 1984. So, what's that? So, John had two kids previous, didn't he? So he's actually now abandoned seven. Yeah. John gave no shits about no one. John needs to put something at the end of it. Yeah, I agree. He does. Stop spreading that seed. In 1984, they came back to New Zealand, and that's and they abandoned them in 1969. So that's 15 years that they abandoned their children. So the two-year-old would be 17. It's horrendous. Quick maths. Well done, Bex. Um, yeah, it's fucking muggy. Yeah. So they came back in 1984 with an apparent change of heart and uh, contacted their children. You what? But the plan backfired. Yeah, oh, they, they managed to get in contact with their children now that are all now practically adults. The plan backfired when their daughters, Jane and Leanne, reported them to the authorities and tipped off the local media. Go on, mate. Get in. Because when this happened back in 1969, it made New Zealand newspapers that two awful English parents had emigrated to New Zealand and then went and abandoned their five children. They made like a full two-page massive article with pictures of, of the kids in the 70s. And then when they had contacted the them again, they went back into the papers because it was like a big thing in New Zealand. A lot of people knew about it at the time that this, like I say, these poor five children that were just abandoned for no good reason in an orphanage. But at the time, Mr. and Mrs. Sabine were calling themselves John and Lee Martin. Okay. I ah, see what they did there. Clever. Yeah, just changed their last names to Martin. Then. Yeah, clever. Masters of disguise. As they were more and more well known for what they'd done, the New Zealand Minister for Social Welfare ordered an investigation, but the Sabines escaped prosecution and they would eventually flee back to the UK. How did they get away with it? I don't know. Because they're called Martin now, so nobody can catch them. Yeah. yeah. I'm joking, yeah. of course. That's a ridiculous... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that seems plausible. <laughs> they never caught them for an interview or anything like that. If not, why would you let them go? So eventually they fled back to the UK, but didn't go and pick up their kids before doing so. So, uh, To be honest, at this point, I think the kids were probably like, that's okay. You fuck off. Yeah. So they ended up settling in South Wales in the village of Bedau or Bedou. You know how Welsh village names are. My brain doesn't work when, when they're around. But your brain doesn't work when the Welsh are around. <laughs> <laughs> no, with their, their village names, because it's in Welsh. Yeah. I don't speak Welsh. It's a hard language. You, you don't speak Welsh? She doesn't. I know. It's <laughs> shocking, isn't it? I'm terrible. She can add that to the list of languages. She doesn't speak like Finnish or Norwegian. Yeah. yeah. Get those mixed up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was there in 1997 where the last accounts of John Sabine would take place. It was as if he evaporated. 
But after he disappeared, no one filed a missing persons report. Lee told some of her friends that her husband was a womanizer. I want to sing Britney so bad. Womanizer, womanizer. (laughs) So he had just simply run away with a new flame. And the same year that John disappeared, during an out-of-the-blue call to an old acquaintance, Lee said the strangest thing. The friend, who was called Valerie Chalky, commented that it had been such a long time since she'd heard from either of them. Oh, 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 did did she say, why don't you come on over, Valerie? (laughs) I wonder if she missed her ginger hair. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Valerie said that she hadn't heard from them in such a long time that she thought they killed each other. That is a strange thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you an insight of their personality. If Valerie was like, oh, we just thought you'd killed each other. Yeah. So I don't know if they had that kind of relationship where they were kind of always arguing. I don't know. And after Valerie said that, Lee said, it's funny you should say that. Because I've killed him, I've battered him with a stone frog, which was by the side of the bed. Not the frog. Yeah. (laughs) I can't say anything but the frog. (laughs) Robert? Poor frog. I know. It's not a real frog. It was a stone frog. Oh, that's some some ways, that's worse. If it was a real frog, I think it would have been double homicide. Oh, that makes me feel sick, the thought of a real frog. (sighs) Oh. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> you felt sorry for the stone frog, but a real frog makes you cringe. Yeah, because it would like it would just be disgusting. I'm not a fan of frogs either, Tash, so I'm with you there. A splattered frog. Yeah. Oh, no thanks. Yeah. So she hit him over the head with a stone frog, which made him croak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we shouldn't laugh. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't laugh. (laughs) But we do! (laughs) And anyway, so she said that he was just driving me mad. Every night he would get into bed crying and weeping and saying, oh, you don't fancy me anymore. So that's why she hit hit him over there with a frog. That's not a very good excuse to kill somebody. (laughs) And just so we're clear with all our listeners, the only reason I'm personally laughing is because he sounds like an absolute piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. He's abandoned seven kids, so... And now he's crying because she won't suck him off, like... Yeah. <laughs> Pull yourself together, John. So, Valerie took none of this seriously, and she was like, who would? I totally would take that. I don't know how I'd take that. There's one I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said. Oh, I haven't heard you in, from you in a while. I thought you must have killed someone and ran away. I just think it's the whole friend group is strange. Really weird. Yes. And for her to be so precise, like I hit him over the head with a stone frog. Funnily enough, it seems yeah. like a very. If that was going to be a bit of banter, that that's very specific. Yeah, absolutely. She said that she put the comment down to Lee making it up because she had heard nothing on the news that would tally with what she'd said. And also, Lee would make up loads of shit. She'd always say that she'd been a singer in Australia and uh, that she was a model and it was all just not true. (gasps) She's a liar as well. (laughs) Ah, that's the last straw. (laughs) No. 
Yeah, like all her neighbours in this flat when she was older, she told everyone that she was a model when she was younger. And she was like a 74-year-old lady but would wear high heel boots and low-cut tops. And to be fair, she looked quite cool. Yeah, at that <laughs> age, you just think, oh, you saucy little minx, you yeah. know. Yeah, but she kind of kind of looked good. I mean, they said low-cut tops. I, I saw no photos with low-cut tops. They just weren't high-cut, yeah. you know, like weren't stuck to her neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think she looked pretty cool. So she just didn't take it seriously. And after that phone call, it became like a joke among her and her family members and friends. Like, oh, you know, watch out or I'll frog you. It was kind of a joke. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry, is nobody taking this seriously? No, because she said it to so many people as a joke. Or like, no, I killed him with a stone frog. And they were like, watch out or I'll frog you. This is so No one's taking anything seriously. Very, very strange. Yeah. Police still hadn't completely confirmed who the body was. I think it's becoming clearer and clearer. Yes. So, and then they they were looking into medical records and stuff, and they managed to get a hold of John's medical records because the body had a hip replacement, and they found John's records, and he had had a um, hip replacement. And they also found that he had prescription medication, and he'd stopped filling it in April 1997. And there was no traces in any other pharmacy in the UK with his prescription. From April 1997, there was literally no proof that he was alive. He'd been frogged, man. Yeah. <laughs> Leanne Sabine was still, like, cashing his military checks. So she basically was still living off his benefits for all that time. Leanne. Come I also on, think man. that that was in 1997, and this hap- and then she died in 2015. I was kind of thinking, maybe, don't they check things every now and again? Apparently not. Unless she just forged his signature, it was one of those sign this if you're still alive papers. I mean, I think we can all agree that Leanne is not a very nice person. She wouldn't have any scruples in forging a signature or two, would she? <laughs> no. That's the least of her issues, I think. No, that's where she draws the line. I'm not forging a signature. I'm not that type of person. Abandon my children, absolutely. But not. Not forgery. It sounds like, to be fair, that her children are well out of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. They tracked down John Sabine's son in New Zealand and asked him for a DNA test. The results were come back positive and he was, in fact, John Sabine. Bloody hell. But the police still didn't have a murder weapon. It's the frog! Yes. <laughs> they had looked everywhere in the apartment and in her, in her stuff and in the shed and couldn't find anything that looked like a stone frog. And that's when they were interviewing people again, especially the people that were closer to her when she was really poorly, that uh, Lee had started to give things away to friends before she died. Oh no, who did she give the frog to? Yep. So remembering what witnesses had said about the frog, they asked her friends if they'd been given anything by Lee. Oh no! One of the friends came forward and said, yes, she'd given me some things, just come and have a look. And so police went over to their house, and as they went through the door, they saw a stone frog being used as a doorstop. Oh, God. And they were like, that's it? They asked where they got the frog from, and they said, yeah, that's one of the things that Lee had given us. 
So they took it as evidence and they were very doubtful that they'd find anything on the frog because it'd been so long and in multiple people's houses. Yeah. But because a stone frog isn't something that you wipe down very often, there actually was traces of blood and to DNA that was matched to John's. It was, surprise, surprise, it was Lee that killed John. And effectively, she had actually committed the perfect murder because she died and never got caught. And and yet she fessed up to everybody. I mean, yeah, I it, it was common frog. knowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you think of the perfect murder, you think of someone that murders someone and then cleans it up. There's no evidence. There was so much evidence. And she told people blank in the face. Yeah, I've killed my husband with a frog and there's a skeleton under my bed. (laughs) So, and they still didn't get caught. She's an old lady. Do you think, oh, isn't she quirky? I think that was in 1997. She died in 2015. Okay, so yeah, she wasn't that. She wasn't that old. She was, what, in her 50s, probably. Maybe they just thought she was a bit mental. I mean, obviously it was. Yeah, apparently she was very up and down with her moods. And, you know, would be a bit disruptive sometimes with the neighbours. And I think that's why I thought it was something to do with Nightmare Neighbours Next Door, because on the documentary that I had originally watched, they presented it as that type of programme at first, this problem with these neighbours, and she was a bit weird, and she was up and down with her humour. And, yeah, and then it ended up being a body in the backyard. That's mad. In a bag. That's mental. That's uh, that's the story of Leanne Sabine and the murder of John Sabine. Well, thank you very much. And the abandonment of seven children. I really enjoyed that story and I don't feel bad that I laughed about it because they sound horrible. Yeah, they weren't. Yeah. Well, the real victims here are the kids yeah. because they all got left. And obviously John didn't deserve to die, even though he did sound like a bit of a shitbag as no, well. No, nobody deserves to die, but... If they did, possibly abandoning kids would be a good motive for me. Yeah. yeah. At least they abandoned them and didn't do anything worse to them. I mean, as I said, yeah, I think the kids are probably well out of it, but still. I think I've read a lot of articles. I didn't put a lot in about the kids because I just think I'm not going to put their names in this. Oh, we don't need to know. We don't no. need to know that. But they obviously felt very abandoned, but... When it got to the point where they found out that their father was dead, that they didn't really feel anything because he'd abandoned them. Well, yeah, that's understandable, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. He got frogged. Parents of the year. If you ever think that you're not doing the best job... Think back to them. (laughs) You are. (laughs) I um, often say to my children when they're not behaving that I'm going to put them in the bin. I never actually do put them in the bin, though. I said to them, yeah, I said to my husband, when he says something stupid, I'm like, oh, get in the bin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear me. No, I really enjoyed that. As Well, as much as one can enjoy murder. So quite a lot then. Yes. (laughs) Oh, he was in his Marks and Sparks PJs, (laughs) bless him. I just imagined them to be, you know, like that movie, The Santa Claus, and he's got them satiny red pyjamas. Oh, I was imagining, like, the plaid ones. Yeah, same. Know. That's what I'm imagining. Like the flannel pyjamas. Flannel ones. Yeah. Ah. I was going for sexy satin. Slide off the bed. Sexy. Yeah. Sexy satin. 
Yeah, it'd probably be more like what you're talking about then. But I'm going to keep the sign in my head. Okay. <laughs> okay, from all that fraud, he could afford it. Max and Spencer's <laughs> pajamas. Yeah, that's the end of the story. That's where it kind of stops because uh, no arrests were made as uh, she completely gotten away with it. Yeah, well, of course, she died. Yep. Yeah. There we are. Mental. Mental. Lied about everything else, but told the truth about killing her husband and still got away with it. Yeah, but it's hiding yeah. in plain sight, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what she was doing. She hid the body in plain yeah. sight. As well. It wasn't. It was under her bed, X. I mean, it is kind of hidden. Yeah. But then she put it in the communal shed where anyone could have got it. And they did eventually. Ugh. Yeah. How good must she be at wrapping presents? Because she wrapped up a body for nearly 20 years and, like, none of it leaked out. So, well done. Yeah, pro-wrapper, pro-wrapper. Absolutely. Do you want part two of the Sally series? Yeah. I really, really do. Okay, so Sally House part two. I'm looking forward to this. I really enjoyed the start of it last week. Yeah, so did I. I am relying on you two remembering the story from last week. Well, that's not kind, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I think you put too much faith in us there. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Hopefully it'll come back to you as I start, yeah? Oh, no, fine. No, yeah. So the Pickmans had just received two phone calls that had both said that the little spirit's name was Sally. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? I do. So the pair were in disbelief at this coincidence and stayed up most of the evening talking about it until finally deciding to go to bed. As they went up the stairs, Tony stopped and had a weird expression on his face. He pointed out to Deborah that a photo of the family was now hanging upside down. Now here, as we will see throughout this story, the couple have very different reactions. Tony was terrified. He didn't like any of this at all. Deborah, on the other hand, thought it was Sally's way of saying she liked them and shouted, Night, Sally, as they entered the bedroom. Banter. Upside down photos is not crying out to me cute. No, that's creepy. Yeah. So I've got to admit, I'm more with Tony on this one. But in Deborah's defence, she had just had a baby and was probably bursting with maternal instinct. Maybe she thought that Sally needed a mum, someone to protect her and look after her. Who knows? Yeah. So the day after was once more calm and uneventful, until George, Tony's younger brother, popped by around 5pm to see the baby. This is something he did often as he only lived next door. Tony began explaining everything that had happened over the last few days. George was terrified, just as terrified as Tony, at the thought of it all. And he took a while to accept that Tony wasn't trying to be funny, but was deadly serious. To show how serious he was, he grabbed a camera and pointed it at the beanbag bear by the TV and shouted, Sally, if you're here, smile for the camera and started taking photos. As he began snapping away, George shouted, Oh my God, it moved. I saw it move. The bear had in fact once more turned around and was now facing the wall. Both guys, completely terrified, started to run upstairs to tell Deborah, who was just chilling in her bedroom. Tony managed to go upstairs without any issues, but when he looked back to check on George, he could tell something was up. George was at the bottom of the stairs and couldn't move. He was struggling to breathe. This lasted a short while, but much longer than George would have liked, I'm sure. He eventually managed to move his legs and join Tony upstairs. His face was white as a sheet. 
He said he felt a cold blast go straight through him. He just couldn't move a muscle after that. They ran into Deborah's room to explain all that had just occurred. Deborah remained calm. She could tell George was in a state of shock. It was decided that they should all pack up the baby's stuff and go over to Tony's parents. George pegged it immediately. He wanted nothing more than to be out of the house. That was nice of him to help. Yeah, exactly. He was just <laughs> like, see ya. But as parents know, you can't do that with a baby. You need stuff. You need a substantial amount of stuff. Nappies, bottle, clothes, wipe, etc. So as Tony was buckling Taylor into his car seat that was in the lounge, Deborah was packing up his nappy bag. Taylor had picked up on everyone's state of panic and was now crying and upset. No. Yeah, bless him. It was then that Tony suddenly shouted out, Ow! Something just bit me. What? Deborah too had sensed a cold thing go through her body, but ignored it to see what had happened to Tony. He said it was okay and it was probably just a bug that had got stuck in his clothes. And so the family left. Mm. Once at Tony's parents' house, the two men started telling their parents what had just occurred. It was then that Deborah remembered Tony being bitten by something. So she asked to have a look just to check all was okay. To her horror, she saw three massive scratches down his back. Now frightened at the knowledge that the cute little girl ghost could do this, Deborah took a photo of Tony's back, but then realised, of course, that this could not be used as proof that a ghost had done it. Then she started getting angry. How dare Sally hurt her husband in their own house? She decided it was probably best to give Barbara, the psychic, a call, as she had initially said that the ghost meant no harm, and what was on Tony's back seriously suggested harm. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. But Barbara once again said Sally had just been picking up on everyone's panic, and because Taylor was crying, she probably thought Tony was hurting him. It was nothing but a mix-up, and again assured the family that the ghost was harmless. Mmm, I kind of hate to differ. Mm. Barbara said they needed to go home and have it out with Sally. Tell her that scratching was unacceptable and punish her. How do you punish a ghost? I have no idea, but those were the instructions given. Barbara then said, or if she's really bothering you, there are ways we could get her to move on with house blessings or even have her exercised. Deborah didn't like those options, bizarrely, and decided to go home and chat with the little girl. Tony wanted no part in talking to the ghost. Again, he was scared and not impressed by the haunting at all. Deborah said it's fine and that she would do it. Typical. So once back at home, Deborah called Sally into the living room and told her they were very angry with her. Hurting Tony was very bad and that if she wanted to stay, she would have to abide by the rules. No hurting anyone, no waking the baby, no making creepy teddy circles, and most of all, she needed to realise that Taylor was their baby and not hers, and that they would never hurt him, and she needed to let them look after him how they deemed fit. The couple looked at each other, not knowing if Sally was in the room or not. It was then that Tony noticed the cats, all lined up, looking at something intensely. They were looking up at the ceiling fan, which had two little balls on it. One for the light. Oh, it's a boy ceiling fan. <laughs> God, I knew one of you was going to pick up on that. You laughed. If you didn't laugh, I would have totally been serious about it. Yeah, yeah. 
I have the sense of humour of a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, well, so. that's why I laughed, because I knew you were going to pick up on it. So there's these two balls on this light, one for the light and one for the fan. Yeah, are you with me? Yeah, with you. So the balls were swaying. Oi, <laughs> oi. Do your balls hang low? Can you time in a knot? Can you time in a Can you fry them? Maybe a shoulder like a military shoulder. Soldier. Do your balls hang low? Ceiling fan. Click. <laughs> 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 Were you not impressed? Yeah, yeah, no, it was beautiful. <laughs> I stopped singing at one point and gave Tasha her moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so stunned by the beauty of your voices that I've now no idea where I am in the story. <laughs> So the balls were swaying and the cat's heads were all moving in rhythm as they watched them sway. Yeah. The thing is, I didn't even think about how funny you'd find this when I was writing it. <laughs> I've calmed myself. It's fine. I've got over it I now. haven't calmed myself. I can... <laughs> I can so the feel... two balls would sway and then just stop and then sway again. And then just stopped abruptly. I've seen that before. Oh, fuck's sake. I'm familiar with the way that they're moving right now. Did they spin around like a helicopter at one point? No, no, they're just swaying. They're just swaying. So a completely unnatural way to move. So the couple took this as a sign that Sally was indeed in the room with them. At this point, the phone rings and it's Barbara. She said she's had a think about their previous conversation and would actually really like to come and visit the house herself. She'd be coming to Kansas in the next few days and would it be okay to pop by? Deborah agreed straight away without even asking Tony and hung up the phone. She returned to the living room and told Sally there's a very special lady coming to see you soon to help everyone get along better and live together in peace. Deborah liked the idea of being able to communicate with Sally, so that night she left Sally some paper and crayons out and said if she wanted to draw or write anything, she could help herself. Deborah then wrote a little question on the paper asking, How old are you, Sally? The couple then went to bed with Taylor. The crayons and paper remained untouched the next morning. Rude. Well, she was disappointed about it, but she thought it's best to keep leaving them out just in case. The next few days passed without anything overly eventful happening and then arrived the day that Barbara was to come and visit them. Deborah tidied up the house and thought a quick chat with her neighbour might bring a little more insight to what was going on as they had known the previous tenants. She popped over with Taylor and started chatting about general stuff. She then carefully swayed the conversation towards perhaps something odd happening in their house. Her neighbour said she didn't really remember the previous owners saying anything about it, and so the conversation quickly diverted back to the baby. Her neighbour asked if they always left the light on for him all night. She said that her and her husband were often up late and again up early in the mornings, and they noticed the nursery light is always on. Deborah was confused at this as the baby still slept in their room and she said that they must be seeing the hallway light that they do sometimes leave on. But her neighbour was adamant that it was the ceiling light in the nursery. She added, even when you're all out of the house, it's left on. Oh, yeah. So Tony arrived home about 3pm, and soon after George appeared, he was curious about seeing the psychic, and he just so happened to turn up with a bag of laundry. 
He went to stick his washing on, and in doing so, he walked past the downstairs loo, where two candles were burning. He asked Deborah why she had lit the candles. She hadn't. All the candles in the house were purely decorative, and she never actually lit them. She went and blew them out, and it was obvious they hadn't been burning for very long, and no one had been in there or out of the other person's sight. So it was now apparent that not only could little Sally make things move, she could also start fires. Yeah, no one wants that, do they? Oh, God. Barbara arrived and very soon picked up on Sally. She was a little shy at first, but soon started chatting. She said she didn't like Deborah being so bossy with her. There were too many rules and she had trouble remembering them all. This all being said by the psychic with a little girl's voice. No, thank you. Yeah, that's not a bit me. (laughs) Barbara picked up on the corner in the nursery where Sally would usually hang around, and it was decided that it might be nice to give her a few things of her own in that corner that were just for her. When asked if her name was Sally, the spirit replied, yeah, that's okay. Almost as if it wasn't her name, but as that's the name that the previous tenant's daughter had given her, she just accepted it as her own. She also said that she was seven years old. Deborah mentioned her concern about the candles being lit and Tony getting scratched, but again, the psychic just said these were the antics of a little girl trying to get noticed. Now, as a mother of two little girls, I can honestly say there's a lot of weird shit my kids have done for attention. But starting fires and physically attacking us is not one of them. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> no? No, Tash? Start some fires in your house? Um, there was a birthday cake incident, but... <laughs> <laughs> that you're not going to go into. <laughs> no, it was a very sad day. <laughs> the thing is, our kids and saying, oh, I can, I can start fires. Oh, they love to light a candle, don't they? Yeah. But anyway, this is what the psychic said and it was accepted by the Pickmans. Barbara stayed a while, just generally chatting, and then she was on her way. Deborah felt a lot more at ease knowing that no harm was intended, even though she couldn't help thinking, what if Sally starts a fire while we're asleep or whilst we're out? But somehow she put that thought to one side. How? I have no idea. No, I would be concerned about that too. Well, I'd be packing my bags. Yeah. But she did, and she embraced the idea of her new adopted daughter. Tony stayed quiet, but was probably thinking, what the actual fuck is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) I could just see him there reading his paper, just doing that dad thing where they raise their eyebrows and put the paper back up. Just like, oh my God, for fuck's sake. After talking about what had just happened, Deborah and Tony went up to bed with the baby. Deborah checked the nursery quickly, and there she noticed on the notepad under her note saying, Hi Sally, how old are you? was written in crayon, seven like. Seven what? Seven like. So she's like, oh, seven like, like seven. Yeah. That was she saying. Pretty much, like seven-ish kind of thing. Oh. Okay, like seven, but not really. Seven in alive years, Yeah. Oh, well, God knows. I don't know. She just wrote seven like. 
Deborah started making Sally a little box full of stuff for her to play with. There were dolls, jewellery, dress-up items, and even a brand new baby doll that Deborah had bought just for her. And had even wrapped up all nicely, she placed all of Sally's things in a corner of the nursery. The gift remained untouched for a few days. So much so that Deborah began thinking, had they actually got a ghost in their house? Or if they had, had it decided to move elsewhere? This thought very soon left her mind, as one day as she was passing the nursery, she checked in, as she always did, and was amazed at what she saw. The brand new baby doll was now in the crib. But the most amazing part was that the gift-wrapped box still remained intact, unopened, untorn, and yet the baby doll was out, and obviously had been played with by something. Well, that's horrendous, isn't it? So, Sally can teleport things out of other things if sally could held your hand she could take you through walls and stuff well maybe we saw it didn't we we've heard about this kind of shenanigans happening before like things falling from a different like yeah. uh, level of the house through the ceiling yeah like they can open little portals and stuff i don't know but anyway that's yeah. what happened the doll was out of the box without the box ever being opened yeah way better than casper casper couldn't take you through walls you had to go downstairs i used to pop a fancy casper when i was young you fucking didn't oh, <laughs> what an angel face see what sort oh i wonder what he looks like now i'm gonna oh. google that <laughs> <laughs> so another day deborah was in the kitchen when suddenly she heard a kerfuffle and she looked round to see most of her clean baby bottles all over the floor. Annoyed, she said, Oh, Sally, if you want a baby bottle for your doll, there is a toy one in your box. Deborah went upstairs to show her where it was, and to her surprise, there was a toy bottle with the doll in the crib, plus an extra real one that she had just pinched from the kitchen. Okay. Now, as much as Deborah had bonded with the little girl, others in the family were experiencing things that weren't so pleasant. Tony's brother George was around one day and snoozing on the sofa. He was awoken by a large thump on his chest. He assumed in his sleepy state that it was one of the cats. But when he went to grab the cat and chuck it on the floor, he grabbed something entirely different. Ooh. Was it was it the was it the fans' balls? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake! <laughs> Sorry, I just got that. I'm not- <laughs> he opened his eyes and found himself face to face with the beanbag teddy bear, and no one else was around. So there's no possibility of this being a spooky prank. The bear must have been levitating above him and then dropped suddenly. That's weird. Just a bit. More candles were found lit. Little tea lights found to have been burning for at least half an hour, judging by the wax formations. Fire hazard. Sorry, but who? (laughs) Excuse me, but judging by the wax level, that means it's been doing at least 30 minutes. (laughs) That's really tickled. (laughs) 35, give or take. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the only candles that you can possibly know how long it would be burning for is you know those advent candles you get at christmas no so just to explain <laughs> i've skipped most of this because otherwise this would be like a 10-part series which i don't want it to be 
every time something weird happens, they try and reproduce it. So if she finds that a candle's been lit, she then gets a candle and lights it and times it to see how long it takes (laughs) the candle that she lit to look like the one that the ghost lit. Okay. That's how they... Okay, so you should have led with that because I just... (laughs) Well, I can't keep all the details in. But no, they, that's they fine. Do... I'm sorry. That just really tickled me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fine. You, you be tickled, my sweet. It's like with the teddy bear. They they know kind of what height it was dropped as because, bless him, poor George laid there while they dropped this teddy bear on him from, diff- from different heights. <laughs> to kind of... Figure out <laughs> how much it was <laughs> levitating. Okay. Oh. Okay. Bless him. Poor old George. Poor George. Unless they're kind of like investigating and looking into it. No, I like their commitment. Yeah, yeah they're trying to understand yeah. what's going on, you know, and debunk stuff when they can, which is, you know, it makes it more believable. Yeah. I'm just leaving yeah. all the details out because otherwise it'd be far too long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So other decorative candles, they'd still got the plastic wrapping on them to protect them from the dust, were found with the plastic wrapping singed in places. You know, like if you hold the lighter up to the plastic, it doesn't catch fire, but it kind of crinkles. Melts away, doesn't it? So they found this kind of marking on the candles, on the plastic around the candles, like it had been grabbed by little hands. So four singe marks on one side and a larger one at the back. Oh, yeah. So she's got burny hands. One of the family's cats, just a young kitten, started acting extremely oddly. It would scoot around the house as if in a constant state of panic. And when it would eventually settle on Deborah or Tony's knee, it seemed to fall asleep, at, like, in complete exhaustion. Just like, oh, thank God, safe kind of thing. Yeah, bless it. It also appeared it wasn't eating and it was becoming really thin. So they thought that perhaps the other cats were not letting it get to the food. But when Deborah observed the behaviour of the other cats, they didn't give a shit about the kitten and the kitten ate without any issues at all. Although, with Deborah there watching, it was gobbling its food down as if it had been starving. Deborah said out loud, You mustn't scare the kitten, Sally. He's only a baby like Taylor. You leave him alone. On one particular occasion, Tony's mother was coming over to help the couple do some wallpapering. Taylor was fast asleep in the crib downstairs with his grandma. Now, Tony's mum did not like Sally at all and would keep asking for them to get her exercised out of the house. She'd even threaten that one day, when they were out, she'd come over with a priest and get rid of Sally once and for all. Deborah hated the thought, but decided it best not to get in an argument over it. So there they all are, wallpapering, and suddenly the baby, who was in a deep sleep, screamed out in pain and started sobbing uncontrollably. His grandma picked him up and shouted, Sally, if you hurt this baby, I will smack your bottom. Deborah thought it was quite funny that her mother-in-law was telling off the ghost. Tony arrived to take over and went to calm the baby down on the settee. His mother followed behind when suddenly an oil lamp, a box of tissues and some other bits that were on a nearby table flew across the room towards Tony's mother. That's apparently what Sally thought about being told off. Well, there you go. Now, 
I don't know what you guys think about this, but I can see that Deborah's attitude towards all of this is really strange. Like, your baby's just been crying out in pain and you're thinking it's funny that your mother-in-law's telling off the ghost. Deborah seems almost overly protective of Sally and doesn't seem to see the aggressive nature of the happenings that everybody else is seeing. Terrifying a kitten, hurting the baby, throwing stuff at the grandma, waking up George by winding him with a teddy bear. Doesn't seem cute and harmless to me, but in Deborah's eyes, that's all it is. It's just harmless child's play. It's not that, is it? It's a bit more sinister than that. I'm getting quite sinister vibes and Deborah's just like, la di da di da I've got a ghost daughter. It's just weird. When you read the book, you really get the feeling that she's mothering this, this child. She even tells Sally that she can come in bed with her to cuddle. And she says she feels her coldness on her arm and upper body as if the little girl was snuggling in. Mm. Weird, right? Okay. Yeah, that's really weird. I mean, this is just my opinion on how I feel Deborah's feelings towards this little spirit might not be entirely normal. Sally did try and redeem herself after being quiet for a while as she had been told off for her bad behaviour. One day when Deborah was at work, her maternity leave had ended and Tony was working night shift, so he was alone during the day and often did some of the house chores when he wasn't sleeping. On this particular day, Tony noticed a basket of wet laundry in front of the dryer. So he picked it up in a bundle and put it on a 90-minute dry cycle. He heard a loud thudding coming from the dryer, but just assumed it was a pair of tennis shoes. It was loud and annoying, so he turned on the stereo. Sally turned it off again. He turned it back on again. But Sally once again turned it off. After this back and forth went on for a while, he abandoned the stereo idea and started hoovering. But the hoover did the same thing. He turned it on, Sally turned it off. This continued until his annoyance got too much and he shouted, God damn it, Sally, stop it! Sally did as she was told and stopped. When Deborah got home that evening, Tony told her how much of a nuisance Sally had been and that she needed to have a word with her. Tony tried to avoid any interaction with her at all, as he wasn't sold on the whole cute little ghost theory. Deborah went to empty the dryer and noticed that the clothes were coming out stained, an odd brownish-red colour. She couldn't tell where it could be from. It didn't look like pen ink. And then, as she went for the last load of clothes, she screamed, oh no, oh no, 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 as she realised what had happened. One of their cats had been in the dryer when Tony had loaded it up. He hadn't paid attention, but it appears Sally had spent her time trying to get him to notice the thudding. But of course, he just thought she was being annoying. The poor cat was very dead, and Tony was mortified by his mistake. That's That's awful. It is. It happens, doesn't it? Cats climb into dryers because they're warm. Always check your tumble dryers, people. So Sally stayed quiet for quite some time after that, mourning the loss of a pet, possibly, or sulking because Tony had shouted at her. Who knows? But when she reappeared, it wasn't in a playful or cute way. One evening, as they sat watching TV, 
Tony opened up about Sally. Now, this was really rare. As I said, he didn't like talking about her. But this evening, he just had to get something off his chest. Deborah, I've been having weird feelings lately. I feel like someone has been biting my toes. I feel it when I'm watching TV, when I'm in bed, when I'm sat at the dinner table, and I don't like it at all. Deborah was actually happy at this news. Her little ghost girl was back, and almost ignoring Tony's fear completely, she just said, oh, she's just trying to get your attention, and then went upstairs for a shower. She heard Tony shout out, ow, goddammit, but she assumed he'd banged himself. She hopped in the shower, and 20 minutes later, when she'd finished, Tony came upstairs and said, look, At this, he dropped his trousers and turned to the side. And there on the lower side of his back was a very clear bite mark. Deborah looked closely and there was no way Tony could have bitten himself there. Even if he could, the teeth marks were tiny and childlike. It couldn't be Taylor as he hadn't got any teeth. And yet Deborah just brushed this off once more. She's just playing. The next day, the teeth marks were gone, but he was left with a substantial bruise instead. I feel bad for Tony at this point, because Deborah's just like almost obsessed. Yeah. And he's trying to say, look, it's not all glitter and unicorns what's going on here, but she's not having it. Yeah, but she's still being a good mum to her baby that is alive, isn't she? She's not like favouring this ghost or anything, so... No, 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 no. But she is involving the ghost. She and I it almost feels like in her mind she has two children. Yeah. yeah. Uncomfortable. The days went on with the odd object moving, lights going on and off on their own accord, you know, general ghost stuff. Until the day that Sally actually showed herself to Tony. He was grabbing a glass of orange juice out of the fridge and as he turned around, there she was, clear as day, as solid as you and me. They just stood staring at each other. She seemed as surprised as he was. She was immaculately dressed in a white dress with puff sleeves. She had brown curly hair with a big bow in it. She had round chubby cheeks and big blue eyes. With his heart pounding and the fear flowing through him, Tony dropped his glass of juice. And as if this broke his trance, he looked down to look at the shattered glass. And as he looked back up, she'd gone. He ran upstairs to Deborah. I saw her, he said. I saw Sally. Deborah was jealous that she had not been chosen by Sally, even after asking multiple times for Sally to show herself. What was she like? Did she say anything? What did she do? All questions came pouring out of Deborah's mouth. Tony replied, she looked cute as hell and definitely did not look seven. More four or five, maybe. Mm. I'll draw her, Tony said. He was a great sketcher and drew her picture to show Deborah. Deborah then framed the picture and hung it on the wall with the other family pictures so that Sally felt included. One thing was for sure, Sally did not look like a little girl who would bite, throw things around, hurt anyone, or enjoy scaring kittens. Which leads to the question, if it wasn't Sally, then who was it? And that's where I'm going to leave you for this week. Oh my god, Emma! No! (laughs) 
Or if it isn't so, though, I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad that there is a happy, nice child there, but not so not so good if there's an evil one there as well. We'll find out. I mean, I don't know much more than you guys as uh, I'm reading the book as the weeks go by. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? I'm excited to find out the next part. <laughs> Tune in next week for the next episode of the Hard Sally House. <laughs> <laughs> that was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to add a new little segment to the podcast that we're going to do at the end of the podcast each week from now on. We need to give credit for this idea to JT, who's from the Brew Crime podcast, who are quickly becoming our new podcaster besties. Shout out to them. Yeah, because we were just talking about a silly meme that I found um, that somebody had turned my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard into like a horror story. And I was like, oh, that would be a great game to play. Like, what's what song am I talking about? And he was like, you should do it on your podcast. So I was like, actually, that's a damn fine idea. So that's exactly what I've done. I've taken a song that everybody knows. I've turned it into a horror story. And you guys have to guess what it is. And you can let us know on all our social medias. And then next week... Uh, whoever got it right, you'll get a little shout out at the beginning. So, are you girls ready? We're ready. Yes. Guess the song. I mean, don't guess it. You're not allowed to play. But yeah. all right, uh, <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> That's basically how you said that. <laughs> it's not for you. Okay. So, as she rocked in the corner, she said to herself repeatedly, "I mustn't do it again." The first time had been so horrific, yet so freeing. But no, she mustn't do it again. As she smashed her boyfriend's head one last time into the cold concrete floor, she looked at the horrified onlookers with a sadistic smile. With one hand, she wiped away the blood splatter from her face. Whoops, she whispered. So there you go. What song could it possibly be? Da, da, da. So yes, you can answer us on our social medias that are Facebook, Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. You can also email your answers to Becky. Yeah, at chillers.killers.pod at gmail.com. Along with your spooky stories and murder stories and whatever else you'd like to write in. Indeed, indeed. Shall we wrap it up, ladies? Yup. Let's. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay safe. Don't kill people. And keep it weird. Bye. 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 Bye.